So today we're going to continue in our study of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And I've titled today's sermon, Clever Crisis Management. Clever Crisis Management. And as we go through the the scripture today, we're going to see how our current situation, this COVID-19 has forced us into a crisis and how the crisis we currently face goes hand in hand with what Jesus is saying in this parable. See, the parable we're about to read is considered a crisis parable. It's so that as Jesus speaks to his disciples, the parable itself is to show that there is a crisis moment with the characters inside the parable. And see, what a crisis parable does is that there is typically an authority figure, and that authority figure brings a moment of reckoning to the the other characters in the parable, which forces a crisis upon them, and then it forces them to make a decision. And so the crisis we're going to be looking at today and the parable we're going to be looking at today is the, the parable of the dishonest manager and what crisis came on to him, especially when it regards money. And that's really where our focus is going to be today is, is money, but also trust and friendship. And so we're going to see in our text today a clever crook who recognized the crisis at hand and that he was clever in how he managed it and how that translates to us. So we're going to look at what true wealth really is and then how we as Christians should view money in light of all eternity. So if you have found Luke chapter 16, and if you are able, even at home, would you please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. says this, Now he said to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to once again be in your word. Father, I thank you that you have awakened us today to breath and life. Father, that you have allowed us to be the church scattered but gathered. Lord, that we may look into your word. And Father, as we are all now in crisis, Lord, I pray that this crisis changes us. Father, it refocuses us. And Lord, that it would guide us in the right way to handle what you have entrusted to us. Father, I pray that we would be forever changed. Lord, that we would not be the same when this crisis is over. And Father, I pray that you would guide us through every step of it. And Lord, I pray if it be your will, remove this plague from us. Protect your people. Help us, O oh Father. And now, Lord, I pray that as I enter into this time of your word, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so this is an interesting parable as we come to it because of this dishonest manager. And there's, there's a lot that's going on in this. And I'll tell you on the upfront as we go through it, really the message is found in verses 8 through 13, where, how we should apply this to ourselves. But we do need to look and we need to understand what's happening in this parable to best understand how it applies to our lives. So let's kind of go through an explanation of what's going on here. So we first see that Jesus has shifted where we were last week in giving the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost uh, child or the parable son or the, or the prodigal son to now he, he's now speaking to the disciples. And as he speaks to the disciples, he gives them this parable of the dishonest manager. And so we see in this that there are two characters we have the owner, and that is the rich man who had a manager. And so the rich man, as he comes to his manager, he, he, there is an accusation against the manager that this manager has been squandering the money of the rich man. And so the rich man comes to him and accuses him, saying, you're squandering my money and squandering my possessions. So for us to understand this, we have a rich landowner who has a steward, and this steward in that particular point in time would be an underman, and he would either be a slave or a free man, but he was put in charge of making sure that which the master owned and all of his possessions and all of his business was being taken care of in order to generate a profit. And so in this business dealing, this man would be beholden to the rich man and, and would enjoy a lot of luxury in his life. Not only would he be making good money and might even be skimming it off the top, that could be why he is being fired here, but for certain, he would enjoy the comfort of his master's dwelling. He would enjoy the comfort of his master's food. He would enjoy the prestige that came with being the steward of his master's possession. But we see that this steward was not doing a very good job. In fact, he was doing a bad job, and he was beginning to squander 
what the master had entrusted him with. And that's going to be important later as we go through this. Then we get to verse 2, and we see that the rich man calls the manager in and says to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Well, straight up, the rich man says, you've done a terrible job. You're fired. So he says to the man, you're done. You can't be my steward anymore. Turn in the books. So he says, I want you to give an account for what you've done. You're done. You're fired. Turn over all of the books. And so, of course, this steward, this manager, uh, he's faced with a crisis now. Because as he is getting fired, it's not just he's losing his job. He's losing his entire way of life. He's getting ready to lose the ability to stay in the master's house. He's losing the ability to eat the master's food. He's losing the prestige that's going to come with serving his master. He's done. And not only that, but he is going to have to give a reckoning for how badly he has managed the master's money. And so the master says, you're fired turn over the books. So now we enter into the crisis. Here's the authority figure putting a crisis on the manager. So he's done. He's fired. So what does he do? Well, in verse 3, we see that the manager begins to say to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me, since he's firing me? He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. He's had this white-collar job for so long to uh, ditch digging, and he says, I can't do that. I don't even have calluses on my hands. I'm not strong enough for that back-breaking labor. And then he looks and he sees beggars. These are the only two choices he's got. It's either manual labor in someone's field or to stand over here and beg. That shows you how far he is immediately dropping. And he says, well, I'm, I'm too proud to beg. I'm not going to do that either. So what am I going to do? Then in verse 4, he comes up with an idea. He says, I know what I'll do. So this is literally in the Greek, this is to give us the impression of, aha, I know what. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So this this manager, this steward, hatches a plan to be welcomed in the homes of others, to, to have friends, to make friends with all of the people that owe the master money. Now, this is important for us to understand, or we're not going to totally get this parable as we move forward. When he says that he's going to go out and he's going to make friends, he's going to be making friends with a lower class of people than he currently is. He's going to be reaching out to the poor and the destitute. He's going to be reaching out to those who are indentured to the master, who owe the master money. So he is moving from one particular status to another, and his eyes are turned to others so that he may enter into their homes graciously since he's getting kicked out of his home. So what does he do? Well, he's a crooked guy. He literally starts cooking the books. He changes what everybody owes. So in the interim between the master saying, you're done, turn in your books, he goes immediately and starts cooking them. So he takes his leisure and he starts going to the people that owe the master one at a time, and he starts changing the amount that they 
owe. So verse 5, he summoned each one to his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Note quickly. Do this fast. All right? So this, this is a huge amount when you look at what he is actually doing here. A hundred measures of olive oil is roughly 800 gallons of olive oil, or the equivalent of olive oil produced from 146 trees. That's a massive, massive amount of olive oil and a lot of money that's owed here. And so this manager goes to him and says, change your invoice. He lies and is deceitful. Change your invoice to cut it in half. You just got a 50% discount on how much you owe. And so he does it to the next person. Now next to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. This is equivalent to a thousand bushels of wheat. And he says, take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. And so he gets a 20% discount on this, right? And, and he keeps doing this. And it, it says he keeps moving from person to person. And he changes the ledger so that there is no record of what was before. Right? So this is so interesting that he goes through this is that we see that he is, something is already wrong. He's a bad steward. But now we see that he is a crooked steward. And he's lying. And he's changing the accounting in all of this. And so you would expect in this that the next thing Jesus would say is that the rich landowner is going to come back and punish this guy, but that's not what happens. We get to verse 8, and it says, The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. You see, and that's where everything kind of turns on this. There's almost kind of a joke that's going on in this. Jesus has turned this story on where we expected it to go on its head. So we see the rich landowner praise this unrighteous manager for his shrewdness. And if we're not careful, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this and say, I don't totally understand. Is he praising his unrighteousness? No, not at all. In fact, uh, Jesus makes sure to point out in this, in verse 8, that he praised the unrighteous manager. That there is a recognition that this manager and this steward, he is he's a crook. That's not what he's praising. He's praising his shrewdness in the moment of a crisis. So he's kind of saying here, look, you're still fired. And, and I recognize that you are a crook and that you cooked my books. But you are shrewd. You're going to kind of do well. You went out and you made sure that you were set up and okay as the future was coming crashing down on you. And so that's where we need to pick up and see what Jesus is saying to us through this very unique parable. So the lesson in this is threefold. And the first thing I see in this is that we need to recognize friendship is greater than finance. Friendship is greater than Finance. Look again at verse 8 and how this ends. He says, For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. The children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light. Well, what does that mean? And he's saying those that are of the world are more shrewd in a moment of crisis than those who are my children. Well, he's saying this, is that the, the wicked... Even the wicked recognize that wealth is just a tool. 
and that in a moment of crisis, wealth only goes so far. And that this manager recognized it was not the money in the moment of crisis, but it was friendship that was most important, that was most value. That he was making friends that in the moment of crisis, he'd have a network of support for himself because the money was going away. And see, what Jesus is saying in here is that we too need to recognize that friendship is more valuable, is the truest wealth, more so than any finance that we have. And he's saying, be prudent in the time that you have. You need to embrace what matters. And what matters is friendship. And he says, you need to sacrifice what doesn't matter. And that's money. Even the wicked recognize that true wealth is in their friends, not in money. And if we are not seeing that today, with COVID-19 and what is happening in our world and in our economy and the crisis that we're facing, and not just today, but in the days, weeks, months, and possibly years to come, that money goes away. And so what are we going to be left with in this moment of crisis? The greatest thing that we can be left with and what we need to embrace is our friends so that we have a support network of those who will lift us up. And it may even be for you today that you are at home by yourself since we can't go out and you've been watching the news and all you hear is death and impending economic destruction. And you're sitting at home and you are wondering, what am I going to do? And in this time, Jesus would remind us, it's not about your money. It's about your friends. And that for many of us, for our own mental health, we need to reach out to our friends. And we need to be lifted up in the love that our friends give us. So we need to sacrifice and are being forced to sacrifice often our money, but the greatest treasure we can have is our friends. So Jesus says this is the shrewdness of that manager because he recognized friendship is greater than finance. But then he carries on in verse 9. He says this, and I tell you, make friends for your, yourself by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. And so this is interesting. The second thing I see in the text today is this, is that we need to sacrifice earthly wealth for eternal welcome. We need to sacrifice earthly wealth for eternal welcome. And so the focus is now being drawn clear to the disciples in this. If the wicked are shrewd when they see the crisis, how much more should the sons and daughters of light be? So the shrewdness here for children of Christ is this is that we need to recognize that every last one of us has been fired. We are all fired. There's going to come a point in time when, in a literal sense, fire is going to burn it all up. There is no true wealth in 
worldly money. So we're all fired. Notice that here in the text it says this. So when it fails, this worldly wealth, when it fails. He didn't say if it fails. He says when it fails. That money will indeed fail. So the shrewdness is this, is that Jesus has told us of the crisis in advance. Death comes for us all. Fire burns up this world. What are you going to do about it, children of light? He's saying, how will you use your money wisely? If the dishonest are shrewd and they use their wealth to gain friendships, what will you do, children of light? He's saying, we are to put a heavenly focus on our money. A heavenly focus on our money. See, earthly managers look at how they're going to manage the, their, their earthly wealth, but heavenly managers look at their earthly wealth and say, how can it be used in a heavenly way? See, Jesus is painting a picture for us all. He's saying that using unrighteous wealth, as he says there, which is worldly wealth. He says, use unrighteous worldly wealth to make heavenly friends. So what does he mean by that, to make heavenly friends? Simply this. Those who are of the kingdom will be shrewd to use their worldly wealth for eternal gain. To spend our wealth on eternal things by blessing the poor and the needy so as to point them to Jesus. See, remember again, this manager, he's looking from his particular status and who is he gonna search out his friends? Those who are of a lower class than him, which is a clear picture that he's painting, not only for the disciples, but for the Pharisees who are overhearing this. You need to pay attention, not to the people that are up here with you. You need to start paying attention to the people who are down here whom I love, who have been forgotten. So children of light, Use your worldly wealth to help those who are in need and show them the value of Jesus Christ. Show them what Jesus will do for them so that they will know Jesus and be forever saved so that when we die and we go to heaven, those that we have pointed to Jesus by giving them all that we have will welcome us into the eternal home that God has prepared for us. These are the friends Jesus says, you sons and daughters of light, use all this gold and riches that's going to burn up. Use it now in this moment of crisis to appoint people to me so that when you die, they welcome you into heaven because because of what you did, they know me. And now you have eternal friends in eternal homes. He's saying, oh, children, sons and daughter of light, you need to always have a crisis mentality that our money is to always be used as a tool to make a kingdom difference. What does that mean for us today? Well, COVID-19 is certainly, we're in a crisis moment, but one day this will pass. And we need to decide how are we going to go back? Are we going to go back to normal? and do what we've always done? And are we going to rest in our own wealth? 
Or are we going to see this actual crisis that we're in right now as a sign of the greater crisis that faces every man? Death. And upon death, judgment. And will we recognize in that crisis that men and women need Jesus Christ? And will we take what God has given unto us to steward and instead of holding it for ourselves, pour out on others so that the eternal riches of the master grows. It has nothing to do with vineyards and fields and olive oil. It has to do with people. And so the rich landowner wants more people. He says, use my wealth to make eternal friends. Use my wealth to make eternal friends. Help those in need and show them my riches through you. Saying, sons and daughters of light, we need to be shrewd in that way. The unrighteous recognize a crisis and they do something about it. We, the sons and daughters of light, need to recognize the eternal crisis and not live for right now, but live for eternity and help others to do the same. Well, the last thing I see in this is that we are to trust in the amen over the mamun. Trust in the amen over the mamun. And what do I mean by that? Because in the CSB, it's not translated the way it might be translated in the King James. But in the King James here, it's the, the perfect transliteration. It says, you cannot serve both God and mamun. We say mammon, mamun. And, and there's an interesting wordplay that's going on in these last few verses as you go through 10 through 13, that, that in, in the Aramaic and, and even in the Greek, you start seeing what's happening here because Jesus is speaking about uh, faithfulness and unrighteousness, and he's speaking about money. And so as he goes through this faithfulness is, is to carry with it a sense of amen, trust, that's what amen translates to, to trust faithfulness, trustworthiness. But then this term mamun, which has this kind of similar sound to amen, mamun is amen money. That's what it translates to. And in fact, the Aramaic is, is even a transliteration into the Greek. And if you have the King James and other translations, it's another transliteration into English. We have mamun. And it literally means amen money which is trustworthy money. But it's used specifically in Aramaic and Jewish context to mean money that you put all of your trust into, that you have abandoned trust for any other thing except for this wealth. And in fact, it's to be understood that this amen money is an idol. So much so that it really does carry with it an idolatrous nature because you are replacing the true amen with mamun, the amen money, the wealth. And so what Jesus is saying here and in verses 10 and 11 
is a favorite saying of Jesus. He says it more than just here in Luke 16. He says, whoever is faithful, whoever is amen, and very little is also amen in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you've not been faithful in worldly wealth, which is mamun, if you've not been amen in mamun, who will trust you with what is genuine? So what he's saying here is that the very little that is being used in 10, if you have been faithful in very little, that very little is directly pointing to worldly wealth. See, in God's eyes and internal eyes, worldly wealth is nothing. It's very little. And he says, if you have been faithful in what has been entrusted on earth, you can be entrusted with the greater spiritual things. But if you have been unrighteous, in this stewardship of worldly wealth, you cannot be trusted in spiritual things. The very much is the kingdom. If you can be entrusted with worldly wealth, you can be entrusted with the kingdom. If you cannot be entrusted with worldly wealth, you cannot be trusted with the kingdom. So the, the, the point of the parable is now coming strikingly home to us. The master made you a steward but how did you manage it to give him glory? Are we using our wealth for heavenly gain? Because if we can't use our wealth now for heavenly gain, how can we be entrusted with the greater spiritual things? Simply stated as this, what you trust in is what you will be trusted with. What you trust in is what you will be trusted with. And if it is unrighteous gain, that's all you'll ever get. But if it's in Jesus, you'll get the greater. You'll get the kingdom. And so he comes to 12. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? If you have not been faithful in what is someone else's, he's making a very clear statement here. All wealth belongs to God. Don't forget that. All wealth is God's. It is not your own. You have only been given it as a steward. He said, if you can't be entrusted with what is God's, how will you ever get what is yours? And that's an interesting phrase to say, get what is yours. Well, what is yours is salvation and freedom in Jesus because you were unrighteous with what God gave you. Why then would you get freedom? This echoes Luke 9, 25. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? See, what you want to gain is you. You want to gain the true you, the Jesus you. You don't want to give that all away. And so we come to the end there in verse 13, where he says, you cannot serve to masters. And this is really where we get to God and Mamun. See, the dishonest manager that we, we can probably guess from verse 13 here is the dishonest manager really liked his money. He liked handling the rich man's money and, and apparently he was hoarding and doing something wrong and erroneous for himself in this. And so because of that, he didn't really love the master. He loved the master's money. He didn't love the master, and so it got him fired because he can't 
serve both. And, and as Jesus says here in 13, he says, you cannot serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. The language there is very clear on hate, love, serve, and despise is that there is a value placed on one that is so high, the other one looks like hate in comparison. You cannot split your heart to chase after God or mammon. See, this gets back to what I was saying in the point. Is your trust in the amen or in the mammon? Do we put all of our trust in the trueness of God? Or do we put our trust in the amun money? See, the heavenly shrewd will recognize the coming crisis and will recognize where their trust truly lies, in God or in money. And, and for us today, something we need to have a heart check on, brothers and sisters, is that Satan would use this disease and the, and the failure of our economic system to say, you've got nothing and if we listen to what Satan is saying, what our heart is truly showing is that we trust in the mamun over the amen. See, God has said, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about your house. Do not worry about your clothing. Do not worry about your food because I see you. And so COVID-19 is proving our hearts, every last one of us. We're in this crisis. And God says very clearly in the midst of this, who are you going to trust? Me, the great Amen? or in Mamun, the unrighteous wealth of this world that is failing. See, it has no value. The only value is in the eternal. So I encourage all of us not just to look at our money, but the greater point is to look at our trust. Do we trust God? Or do we trust our wealth? So in summary, I want to say this. Crisis forces us to see friends as more important than wealth. And this crisis should have us Christians live with an always crisis mentality. Wealth should be used to point others to Jesus. And the last thing is that what you trust in will dictate what you are trusted with. And we need to trust in God. And so in closing, and, and, and in a kind of a, a time of imitation as we get ready to sing and consider this, where are you putting your trust today? And if today your trust is in your money, recognize what God's doing. Recognize the crisis, and in your heart, look after him and say, I trust you, and reach out to your brothers and your sisters for that, that care to help build your heart up 
and also to look out to those who you are in a current state, but they're in a much worse state. How will you bless them in Jesus' name? But it may be today that you are panicked and filled with anxiety and dread because you don't know the amen. You don't know God and you don't have your trust in him at all. It is only your pocketbook that you have trust in. And it's failing. But I encourage you today that you can find eternal trust in Jesus Christ. And all he says is, is believe in me, confess with your mouth, repent of your sins, believe in me, and you shall be saved. Just like Peter, falling under the waves when he looked at the storm and began to drown, he reached out and said, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. So for you today, it may be that you need to say, Lord, save me. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day and this opportunity to be in your word. And I pray, Father, that for those who may be watching, that they would, in fact, put their trust in you, the great Amen. Father, that you are teaching us in this crisis where our treasure truly lies. And, oh, Father, steer all of our hearts towards you. And I pray, Lord, if there be even one today who does not know your son, Father, move in their life even now. And I pray this. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen.